We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hello and welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower and happy March Madness. The tournament is officially here. We have a bracket. The first four starts Wednesday. So it is the most exciting time of the year if you're a college basketball fan. And to talk about all things in the bracket, what we think about the tournament, first round upsets, all different stuff. I am here today with Calvin Wetzel. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey, Megan, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. It's March. We have a bracket. It's supposed to snow like a foot of snow in Connecticut tomorrow, but we can ignore (laughs) that because at least March Madness is here. Yeah, I feel like March Madness is supposed to be when the weather gets good, but it's been the opposite here, too. It was good, like, last week and not so much anymore, but it's all right. I don't go outside anyway. I'm just watching games, so who cares? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's the plus size. I don't see, like, the downside of being inside watching basketball if there's no sun outside to go enjoy anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, we have plenty to talk about today with the bracket, everything coming up in the next three weeks here, but maybe just starting off with general reactions to to seeing the bracket and how you're feeling going into this tournament and what we're going to see on the woman's side. Uh, Yeah. I mean, my overall reaction is like, I, the parody, there just continues to be more and more parody. And I keep looking at this bracket and I keep thinking this could be an upset. This could be an upset. This could be an upset. This team, this high seed could lose early. This low seed can make a run. And maybe none of those will happen. Like, I just kind of get ambitious on these because I love mid-majors and I love upsets. <laughs> but it just – there's a lot of spots that stick out to me on this bracket as, you know, potential bracket busters or, or just teams that could really surprise people one way or the other. And I'm I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I think a lot of chaos is possible in this tournament. And I think we're going to see plenty of it. As I, like, was looking around it yesterday and more today, I'm just like, a lot of the regions – 
outside of like obviously we think South Carolina is gonna make fun for but beyond that I'm kind of like there's regions around I'm like I don't know who's coming out of this and really have no idea and I feel like it's been a while since we've we've been able to say something like that I feel like usually you could kind of pick so it's exciting yeah and and even you know before the final four there's a lot of well, I know we'll get to this in a little bit but but top four seeds or, or the top 16 that you look like there's not remotely close to a lock that they make the sweet 16 even though they're hosting uh and that we we saw that last year with two 10 seeds making the sweet 16 or, or the elite eight i guess uh and i i don't see any reason why we couldn't see something like that this year too agreed and we'll get to some of those teams that might do that in a little bit but we're going to kind of walk it through region by region here to try to break down all the matchups, well, not all the matchups because we don't have all day, but <laughs> some of the matchups, our thoughts on some of the regions and some kind of hot discussion topics going into the tournament. So we've got the bracket. Quick note there that, you know, we've got the two Greenville regions and the two Seattle regions new this year, the two sites of regionals. So that's a fun change. I do think I'm like, I kind of hate that they named them like Greenville 1, Greenville 2, Seattle yeah. 3, Seattle 4. <laughs> Should have got a little bit more creative, but it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I also, even if they didn't get creative, for some reason, it like bothers me that it's not also Seattle one and Seattle two, because it, mm-hmm. I hear Seattle four and I'm like, oh, there's four of them in Seattle, but there's not, there's two of them in this. There's no Seattle one and Seattle two. I, it's, I don't know why, maybe I'm the only one that that throws off, but <laughs> whatever. I do, The two regional thing is pretty cool though. Yeah, I think we had probably mixed thoughts about it. I don't love it, but maybe a discussion for another day because there's too much to cover today for that tangent. There's definitely pros and cons, though. I feel you on that. Yeah. All right, so let's start in Greenville 1, and we'll just kind of go around and zoom in so I can actually read this because my eyes, and I'm guessing everyone else's, are also not that good, and this is (laughs) tiny font. So, of course, I mean, starting off here, South Carolina, undefeated, 32-0, SEC champions, the regular season, and SEC tournament, number one overall seed. Obviously, no surprises in any of that that I'm saying, but I think my biggest question when you look at this region is, who do you see as being the number one challenger? And I know we all expect South Carolina to go to a Final Four, but if they weren't going to make it there, who do you think has the best chance of being a team to upset them? I mean, the answer is no one. South Carolina is coming out of this region, but it, it depends on, uh, you know, if you have to pick someone, whether Olivia Miles is playing or not, which we don't know, because if Olivia Miles is playing, I'm saying Notre Dame is, is the biggest challenger here. Without Olivia Miles, definitely not. Uh, that At that point, I think you have to go Maryland. South Carolina played Maryland, I think it was two years ago in the Elite Eight as well, in a one versus two. And if I remember correctly, that game was fairly close. Uh, I They also played earlier this year, and the game wasn't close. I would expect a game more like that if they played again, but you never know uh, So in, in March. And Maryland is playing a lot better now than they were, not only in that game, but during that time of year, November, December, whenever that was. So maryland if anyone could do it they could do it but really the only chance i see that they're not coming out of this region is if olivia miles is back to full health by the time that that matchup happens and notre dame is hitting shots and clicking on all cylinders they might have a shot in that case but even then 
this is this is the region that's as set as any of them. <laughs> that's fair. I do believe from Maryland's perspective, Diamond Miller did not play in that earlier season matchup, if I'm remembering right. So I think that's a little bit of a, a wild card into creating a at least a closer game <laughs> if those two teams are to meet, because obviously so much of what Maryland does depends on Diamond Miller this year. I'm actually going to go a different direction here in that we've got a potential rematch in the Sweet 16 between South Carolina and UCLA. How did you know? <laughs> but UCLA did play at South Carolina earlier this year, I think back in November, maybe December, and it was a very close game. I thought Corey Close game planned really well in terms of the way they were able to guard Boston in the post in UCLA, a team that if they get a hot from three, they have to get hot like they did in that Stanford game in the Pac-12 tournament, but can knock down from the perimeter if they get hot. And it's also a really solid offensive rebounding team, even against a team like South Carolina. So I think that's a matchup that could get interesting. Like you said, South Carolina, the runaway favorite. But if you have to pick someone, I think I would pick UCLA. Yeah, I was going to mention what you just said, too, about rebounding. If, you know, no one's on South Carolina's level when it comes to rebounding, but UCLA is one of the few teams that's like one level down and not eight levels down there. UCLA is a really, really good rebounding team. And sometimes there's there's some games where they show up and that's the only thing they're good at and they can't put the ball in the basket. But if if you can even come close to to rebounding with South Carolina, you can at least sort of keep yourself in the game. Yeah, and I think like we saw in that early season matchup, that's a game that could be like kind of like a, you know, a first to 60 type wins it. And that's going to favor keeping things close. It's not going to be a, you know, an 80 to 75 type game. So that I think tends to lead to closer matchups. Also true. I, I know we're going to get into that a lot more uh, when we talk about upsets and stuff, too. The slow pace just helps underdogs. Um, I I don't know if UCLA is going to make it there, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, if they do, you're right. They might have a shot, um, but I'll, I'll just tease that a little bit. I'm, I'm not so sure we're going to see that matchup. <laughs> Fair enough. Also, looking at this bracket, you hit on Olivia Miles' health earlier. If she's not a go, if she can't play in the NCAA tournament, I think there's an interesting question here of, you know, Creighton made that incredible run as a 10 seed to the Elite Eight last year. They're a six seed this year, so seeded a little bit higher, but a team that's kind of set up to make another at least second weekend run, possibly, if Notre Dame it doesn't have Olivia Miles and is going to be struggling as the three seed. Yeah, they definitely could. I think this bottom portion of the bracket sets up fairly nicely for them to to make a run if without Olivia Miles in the second round, third round. I also think they're going to have a tough first-round matchup, regardless of who wins between Illinois and Agreed. Mississippi State. Uh, and you know I'm a little bit of uh, a homer for Shauna Green. I think she's done a fantastic job at Illinois. So if they come out of that one in particular, I as, as our bracketologist, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on this, even though you really only do the top 16 uh, for her hoop stats. But uh, did you think Illinois deserved to be in the first four? No, I was surprised. That was one of the bigger shocks to me. I think there was there was only a handful of things that I was like, wow, and that was one of them. I thought Illinois would have been more comfortably in than they were. Yeah, yeah, I did too, which is why I, I think they could be a really tough matchup for Creighton. I think they're underseeded there. They could have easily been, you know, safely in the field as a 10 seed. Uh, but Mississippi State's a dangerous team on that line too. So 
we'll see in that first game. Uh, and Illinois is going to have some fans in South Bend. Illinois is <laughs> the closest team there, other than obviously Notre Dame themselves. Uh, and and I know Illinois fans have really been showing up this year, big time. They had over 50,000 fans uh, all year. The game I was at, they, they had the upper deck closed and they had to open it uh, because they had, they had too many fans to, to fit in the lower bowl, which for a team that hasn't made the tournament in two decades, that's a big deal. So Illinois might have a little bit of a, of a sort of pseudo home court advantage too. Uh, obviously not if they upset Creighton and played Notre Dame, but against Mississippi State and maybe even against Creighton. So I, I would worry about that for Creighton. But at the same time, Creighton is a team. Both these teams shoot really well. So really what it would come down to if Illinois State – or if Illinois does win this matchup against Mississippi State, I just do threes go in for one team or the other. Whichever team shoots better, I think, would, would win that matchup. Yeah, I think that's going to be a big, a big piece of it. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. And, yeah, Creighton, a team that kind of lives and dies by the three a little bit. I think we've seen – Throughout this year, they can be really, really good when their shots are falling, and they really struggle when they're not. So same kind of thing for, I think, Illinois as well. So that'll be a, a good one to to see, regardless of kind of who comes out of it. That kind of leads to the question, too, though, like if Notre Dame doesn't have Olivia Miles, if Illinois upsets Creighton, they probably have a decent shot at a Sweet 16. They do, yeah, in the same way Creighton has a decent shot at a run. Uh if Creighton doesn't make it out of the first round, Illinois or even Mississippi State yeah. could make a run too. I think without Olivia Miles, this little pod here is wide open. I'm mm-hmm. not going to say Southern Utah is going to come out of it, but any of the other four teams would have a real shot. Yeah, exactly. I think Notre Dame, even without Olivia Miles, can can handle Southern Utah. But I agree. I think any of these other teams could be in the Sweet 16, which is exciting. That's what it's about. <laughs> anyone anything else in greenville one you want to hit on before we move to greenville two um one interesting matchup i'm, I'm looking at real quick before we move on is the 710 here arizona west virginia because i think arizona got a little bit of a raw deal number one uh i don't know how you feel i, I felt they were another team that maybe could have been seated a little bit higher uh number two they're going to maryland which borders West Virginia, a few hours away from West Virginia. They're traveling across the country. They're playing a noon Eastern tip, which is, I believe, 9 a.m. their body's time. So if I had my time zone right, 9 or 10 a.m. Um, that's – the committee didn't do Arizona any favors with that matchup. And normally, just on, on paper, all things equal, I would look at all the 710s and say this is the one that's going to be the easiest for the 7 to win. But because of all those factors, having to play so early across the country, right next door to West Virginia, I could easily see West Virginia coming out of this one, too. Uh, so I would have a little bit of a beef if I were at the Barnes. But I think all the 710s are going to be good. And, and I think this one in particular uh, is one I'm, I'm really looking at. Yeah, I think I still pick Arizona, but it'll be a good one to keep an eye on, especially like you said, that, that 12 Eastern tip is a, is a rough draw for a West Coast team. And Kind of surprised they didn't try to balance that a little bit more, but it'll be a good one to keep an eye on. Like you said, all the seven tens are, but that'll be a fun one. Yeah, especially if West Virginia's fans make that little trip, which I think they will. <laughs> Actually, before we go to Greenville too, maybe we should pick our like final four teams as we go around instead of at the end. So, I mean, I don't think this is this 
the hard one, but who do you have going to the final four out of Greenville one? You know I love getting spicy, but I'm not I'm not quite going that crazy. I'm we're we got South Carolina coming out of this one. Yeah, same. As much as I love UCLA and also love to get spicy, I'm not gonna go all the, that crazy over here. <laughs> we'll get a little bit more spicy later, but yeah. All right, Greenville two coming up next. So we've got this one. Indiana is the one seed. No surprise there. Again, I think we kind of knew. There was a lot of questions on the bracket, but one two was pretty decided, and Indiana gets that that second overall seed. A little question for you, because I especially know that you're a big fan of this Indiana team. They struggled a little bit down the stretch. They had that loss at Iowa. I mean, not a bad loss. Iowa looks really good right now. They're on the road. It's a hard place to play. But then lost again to Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament. Are you worried at all about you know the Hoosiers turning it around here in March? No, I'm not. Because, I mean, like you said, the Iowa game, you're on the road at one of the best teams in the country. It's Iowa's senior night. Caitlin Clark went supernova, hit an incredible shot to beat them. Indiana was in position to beat who is now, I believe, the AP top two team, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. on the road, which is incredible. And they lose by one. Like, I don't read anything into that being a loss. And the other one, they were up big, blew a lead. They had one bad half, really, is what it comes down to. If you you can look and say they had two losses out of their last, whatever, three or four games in the last couple weeks. But those two losses, to me, boil down to one bad half. And they've had a lot of time since then because of the Big Ten and most power conferences playing their conference tournament a week before Selection Sunday to to think about that, um, to, you know, make some adjustments. And they didn't handle that press very well in that half. But I think Indiana is going to be just fine. That, that's fair. I, I figured as such, but it was a good question <laughs> to ask. It was, yeah, it, was, it was a fair question. Two of their three losses on the season came this month. I, I think that Iowa game was after March 1st. Maybe, yeah. maybe it wasn't. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, it's a fair question. I'm a little bit biased. Uh, you're right. I love this Indiana <laughs> team. But I I would not be hitting the panic button at all. Yeah, I'm great. They're not bad losses. This region, though, screams like double-digit seed upsets to me. You've got a 10 seed at Princeton. That's a pretty good team. You've got 11 UNLV. That's probably one of my favorites for a, a upset pick here. 12 seeded again, Florida Gulf Coast. I feel like this Florida Gulf Coast team did the same thing last year where they were the 12 seed, and I think it was Virginia Tech was the five, and it was like, how are they only a 12 seed with 32 wins this year? But this, this region... Lots of upset potential in those first round games. Yeah, I can't wait to hear who you got uh, for these upsets. But I have uh, a couple here. I, I love FGCU, like you said, and I love UNLV. Start with uh, Florida Gulf Coast. You're right. Yeah, they pulled that 12-5 last year. They've been in the tournament every year since 2017. So every year they had a tournament. So, you know, they're, they're not new to this. They played Duke. They played Stanford. There's it's not one of those mid-majors that's going to come in and be phased by this big stage or anything like that. I mean, they have Eliza Winston, who played at Michigan State, uh, Mississippi State, a power conference talent on this team. Uh, as I know, we both are analytics people, and uh, this team has taken 10 mid-range jumpers the entire season between 15 <laughs> feet in the arc. All they do is layups and threes. 
led the league, uh, led the nation in three point rate the last four seasons. Been a top four every year in the her hoop stats era. So Carl Smesco, I, I saw an article on him called him the Mad Scientist. I forget who wrote it, so sorry, I'm not giving you credit, but it's really who he is. Uh, just a brilliant coach. And the other thing, Washington State. Uh, apologies to Brendan Potts if you're listening, but Washington State is the weakest five seed in my opinion. So Florida Gulf Coast got a great draw here as well. Uh, and Washington State's another one like Arizona who has to fly across the country from the West Coast and play not quite as early, but still an AM tip on their body's time uh, in Philly at Villanova. So, I, I mean, I think we're going to see Florida Gulf Coast be favored when, when sportsbooks drop lines, uh, and they should be. I'm definitely going to pick them. The other one uh, I'm looking at is UNLV. I saw them in person a couple times in Vegas in November. They looked awesome when I saw them. A couple weeks later, they went to Hawaii and had a terrible week, lost to Pacific, and almost lost to a D2 team in back-to-back games. Uh, so it depends on which UNLV we see. But but they rebounded, didn't lose a game in conference, even a conference that has teams like Wyoming, Colorado State, who are pretty tough. They didn't slip up once. Uh, Lindy LaRock's done an awesome job with that team and, and really knows how to you know adjust her defense to who she's playing. And then with Michigan, we saw Layla Filia. She was hurt. She came back in the Big Ten tournament, but she came off the bench. So And she played under 30 minutes uh, in both those games for the first time since December. So to me, I'm, I want to see is Layla Filia at full strength or not. Uh, even if she is, UNLV can definitely win this one. If not, I think UNLV has a really, really good chance to win this one as well. Yeah, I like both of those as well. I was going to say, I feel like with Washington State, every year there's like a team that makes this great run through their conference tournament, wins it as the lower seed, like Kentucky last year. I feel like they end up getting a little bit overseeded in the NCAA tournament because of it, and then they kind of flame out in the first round or second round, and Washington State feels like it's kind of the prime candidate for that this year. I think last year it was Kentucky, and I think it was actually Princeton, another team in this region that had that matchup, and Princeton pulled it off. So Washington State feels like they could be the victim of that this year. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a perfect storm. The fact that that team happens to draw FGCU, who's the opposite. It's the team who is perennially underseeded because they're really, really good and they don't play anyone in their conference. So their strength of schedule is low. So they keep getting 12 seeds. They got the strength of like an eight or a nine seed. Uh, just yeah perfect storm really neither team got the committee didn't do either team any favors yeah definitely and then UNLV is a pick for me to make a little bit of a run here because not just that first game but I mean I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that I'm not very high on what LSU is going to do in this tournament but a matchup that could get interesting in the second round if we get an LSU-UNLV matchup there as well, I think. Just I don't have a lot of faith in the Tigers, especially after what they coughed up that 17-point lead in the SEC tournament to Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, watching Angel Reese versus Desiree Young would be incredible uh, because I, th- I think Desiree could hang for sure. She's, she's a really tough matchup, but are you picking that? Are you picking UNLV in the Sweet 16? I think I might put that in my bracket. I just, like, right. I feel like, yeah, I think it's partially like, a, you know, UNLV is very good. It's partially, I don't think LSU is as good as they're rated, but it's also LSU just like not being ready for the moment in like any big scenario this year. They, they looked awful at South Carolina. They, I mean, South Carolina can make a really good team look awful, but 
they the way they came out in that game, they were not ready for the moment. That SEC tournament game, they weren't ready for that moment. Are they going to be ready for that moment when there's a regional appearance on the line? I don't know. Well, LSU didn't play well in the tournament last year either. Uh, they almost lost to Jackson State. That game's going to haunt me forever. And <laughs> if I remember correctly, they did lose at home. Also, as a three seed in the second round, is that right? I think. I believe so. I think you're right. I want to say. Might be wrong about that. Um, but I know they were they were down ten. I think to Jackson State late in that game. So, yeah, I would I would love to see it. You know, I'm not going to go as far to pick. Uh, you know, the I got them winning one game. I'm not going to pick and beat LSU, but emotionally that's that's one of those where i'm rooting <laughs> against my pick you know what i mean because uh yeah. that would be pretty cool <laughs> exactly i don't know i feel like i don't really care about my bracket enough because it's always going to be wrong of like if there's an upset possible i'm still going to root against my bracket uh, i don't care 100%, 100%. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that i i love that i root against my bracket all the time <laughs> <laughs> Any other teams here that you feel like we need to talk about? Um, I mean, Cleveland State's good. They didn't get a good matchup, though, because Villanova's really strong, too. Um, you, you mentioned NC State and Princeton. That's that's one. I talked about the 7-10s. Princeton could definitely make a run here. And if Princeton beats NC State, uh, which they definitely could, Princeton-Utah will be fascinating because <laughs> very, yeah. very opposite styles when you talk about the way that they that Utah runs and fills it up and shots and and Princeton's whole brand is hashtag get stops on social social media so that's that's a matchup I I hope we get I would love to see um, and who knows what would happen but it's it's hard to go play in altitude so I'm not sure I'd pick Princeton to come out of it but it's, it's something we we should at least mention yeah definitely. The other team I've got an eye on here and no everyone's gonna be shocked again because it's a big East team but Villanova, I think what Maddie Segrist does in this tournament is going to be really fascinating. And I think in terms of a like a little bit lower of a high seed that could make a run, I like Villanova's odds because I think people are going to have a lot of time, hard, that wasn't very English, but a, a really hard time guarding Maddie Segrist. And I think when you look ahead, even to like an Indiana matchup, that's one of the biggest questions I have. And like, if you get that game, who from Indiana can really guard Segrist? Yeah, that's one where Seagrass is going to get hers and Mackenzie Holmes is going to get hers. And, <laughs> you know, who just who gets more? Because I don't think uh, I don't think right. like Villanova can necessarily stop Mackenzie Holmes either. I don't know if they have the post defense, but I don't know if anyone has the post defense. But um, you're right. Seagrass is going to get hers against anybody. And I mean, I, she scored 20 plus in every game this year, right? Yep, every single game. Yeah, I don't know who the last player to do that was, but Kelsey Plum in 2016, yeah. 2017, when she won National Player of the Year. Yep. I'm so glad that you knew that off the spot. I, I said that hoping that you would come in with that knowledge. This is why Megan Gower is elite. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. I've One thing with Nova is their post defense, I agree, not great, but I have been at times impressed with Christina Dalsey and what she's able to do for them in the post. If she can stay out of foul trouble, that's I think her biggest weakness is she tends to get in foul trouble and that'll hurt Villanova, especially with Holmes. But I think that'll be an interesting defensive matchup to watch. And then, yeah, I, like Maddie Seacrest is one of the hardest players in the country to guard because she can score at all three levels, but also has so much size that you like almost have to put a post player on her. But then most post players are not great at guarding on the perimeter. 
so it makes yeah. it. I mean, she just makes crazy shots too. She's so, just so good. And there's reasons we've seen her score 50 points in a game this season outside and still of, do it efficiently. Yeah. Outside of Caitlin Clark, is there anyone else harder to guard than her in the country right now? I don't think so. And honestly, this is going to be a hot take, but Maddie Sears might be harder to guard than Caitlin Clark because you, Caitlin Clark doesn't have the size. So you can put a guard on her where you can't do that with Segrist on the perimeter. That is true. That is true. Caitlin Clark is what, six foot? Maybe 5'11. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's got size for a guard, but not post size. You're right, right? I do think, uh, the what I would say is that Caitlin Clark, her ability to pass it too, though, compared to Maddie Segrist, yes, probably, probably makes her a lot harder to guard too because you can't. I mean, it, it's so hard to well, that I mean, that might be more Iowa hard being hard to guard right. as well because Caitlin Clark can find all these shooters or find Sonano, but. And the fact that Caitlin Clark can pull up from, you know, half court, uh, you have to pick her up right away. I I see what you're saying. I think I would go Caitlin Clark, but it's definitely a one-two in terms of just putting one player on them, being able to defend them one-on-one. Yeah, exactly. I would definitely agree with that. They're both very difficult to guard. All right. Who's your pick coming out of Greenville 2? Uh, I have Indiana, no surprise. Um, I do think Utah or LSU, I know you're not high on LSU. I think either of those teams could could maybe give them some trouble, but um, I got to roll with the Hoosiers. They've been second-best team all year. I'm going to go with the hot take, and I went with this hot take like immediately afterwards last night, and I was like, I don't know if that's a good take, but I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go with Nova. I just I think – what Maddie Segrist can do for teams against a team that's not prepared for her. Like, I think we've seen them be able to play well against UConn with a team that plays Maddie Segrist three times a year and knows how to guard Maddie Segrist. So I think that Nova's going to make some noise in this tournament, and I'm just going to keep with that spicy take and put Nova in. Nova in the final four. All right. Yeah, it's, it's a very hot take. It might not happen. It probably won't happen, but it's, it's a fun take. It can't I can't like be boring. It. You pick ones all the way through. <laughs> Oh, I, I like when I like getting spicy. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. Out to Seattle now. We've got Seattle 3, which Virginia Tech is the one seed here, and then UConn, the two seed. First question for you, who's the real favorite in this region? Because I know that Virginia Tech's the one seed, but it feels UConn. like they might not be. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's it's, it's not close. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Virginia Tech gets a kind of hard draw here with UConn being the two. Because as much as, yes, UConn struggled in February and struggled at times this season with AZ Footback and the way that they looked in the Big East tournament, they look really good right now. Not that Virginia Tech doesn't also look very good, but UConn looks really good. UConn flipped, uh, you know, flipped that switch, which is. I mean, a lot of that was AZ Fudd coming back, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that happened just in time because on whatever, like February 27th or something, if you would ask me that question, I would have said Virginia Tech, no question. I would have said UConn's like the sixth best team in this region. The way they were playing for about right. three weeks in February, would have said no chance, but they figured out, they always figured it out in March and, you know, they're starting to get healthy at the right time. And it's been a decade and a half since they missed the Final Four. So, you, you know, until you see it happen, it's kind of hard to bet on it. Yeah, I agree. I will say, like, as much as I root for chaos, it would be fun to get, like, a chalk Elite 8 here because I think Kitley versus Elite Edwards would be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good matchups there. That one, uh, Georgia Amor, you know, versus versus that backcourt, AZ Fudd. Um, I, I, this is another one where I'd be rooting against my bracket. <laughs> including <laughs> rooting against you because I, I know who you're going to pick and I know who you're rooting for. Um, it's not who I'm rooting for, but I'll just jump to it, though. I, I do have UConn coming out of this one in my bracket. Yeah, I do, too. Shocking, I know. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I just think UConn looked really good this past weekend, like we said, and then you get easy fun back. And then I think the other thing is how good Aaliyah Edwards has been and when they were struggling and – February part of that was Aaliyah Edwards was struggling, but she really turned that corner in the Big East tournament and, you know, looks like Holmes, like one of the best players in the country. So I think, you know, that always helps when you have one of the best players in the country on the floor. And now with FUD back, you kind of have potential to have two of the best players in the country on the floor. That's going to help you in March. Yeah. And honestly, just having anyone at all who can come off the bench and be sort of good at basketball. You know, really what UConn needed. Yep. (laughs) They have that now. Yeah. But to give Virginia Tech some credit, too, I mean, 11 straight wins. They made the ACC tournament look about as easy as UConn made the Big East tournament look. So they're also on a hot streak and, and look really good right now. And I think that's why you're seeing them as the third number one seed, despite the fact that a few weeks ago, people probably weren't talking about Virginia Tech as a one seed. Yeah, not even close. They were probably 
there's probably a point where you were talking about them as like a, a bubble team to host like four or five, yeah. I think a, a month or two ago. So extremely cool to see the run that they've been on. Um, we'll see how long it continues. I'm not sure if they're going to make it to that UConn matchup. Uh, it would be fun to watch. <laughs> I do think they're the weakest one seed though. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And maybe the reason you're saying you don't know that they're going to make it to that UConn matchup a very interesting nine seed in this field, I think, in South Dakota State. You read my mind, Megan. I, I think they got a really <laughs> tough draw, actually, with that one. And then, you know, I've, I've kind of been a Tennessee hater, but I do think they're a tough four seed. Uh, and then, of course, UConn's the toughest two seeds. So a lot of landmines here. But, yeah, South Dakota State, I think they got a real shot to come out of it. First off, they're just a better team than USC. Let's start there. Like, yes. they're, they're seeded one lower, but South Dakota State's clearly favored in this game in the 9-8. Uh, and if we get there – South Dakota State can give Virginia Tech a lot of problems. Maya Sellen uh, is going to be one of the best players on the floor. South Dakota State's another team like we talk about with uh, FGCU who isn't going to be phased by any of this. They're here every year. Um, you know, they're, they're bad years. They're winning the NIT. So I, I think that this is a real, real upset potential. And because of the fact that Virginia Tech is the weakest one seed, in my opinion, and they have all these uh, – they have also maybe the toughest road. I think this is going to be sort of our our chaos region. Uh, other than the fact that I have UConn coming out of it, which is not chaos at all. But <laughs> other than the final four pick, I think when you look at the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, I think you're going to have a lot of chaos in, in Seattle 3. Yeah, I could agree with that. I think there's a lot of potential upsets there. Like you said, South Dakota State could make a run. I don't know. I don't actually Tennessee might kind of hold through to where they should go. I you know, like they maybe turned a corner a little bit in that LSU one win. Like finally got that big win under their belt. Were able to pull it together down the stretch of a game. So that could be interesting. But then you've got, I don't know, like the potential Ohio State, North Carolina matchup. That could be an interesting one. So a lot of chaos could happen in this region. That one, Ohio State, North Carolina is one I'm looking at too. Because North Carolina might be the most underseeded team in the tournament. Uh, Ohio State, after they got up to 19-0, 20-0, whatever it was, <laughs> lost a bunch and isn't exactly coming into the tournament. They did make the Big Ten Championship, uh, and then they got blasted by Iowa. So they're not coming in exactly the way Virginia Tech is coming in. Let's say that, yeah. um, playing their best basketball, per se. But, uh, I mean, we know what they can do with the press. J.C. Sheldon's back. North Carolina played Duke two of their last three games uh, to end the regular season and then an ACC tournament. Duke pressed them a lot. North Carolina did not look all that good against Duke's press. So so if we get there, uh, which North Carolina might have a tough matchup with Purdue, too, if Purdue beats St. John's. But if we get there, I'll be interested to see how North Carolina handles Ohio State's press. I think Ohio State could sort of turn things around and uh, and make the Sweet 16 here. And that would be a fun one to watch, too, Ohio State versus UConn because um, – uh, UConn, you know, definitely is going to have issues. Hand. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. And, you know, even though they have a bench now, they're still not what I call deep. So that could be um, that could be a problem against the press. But at the same time, Ohio State didn't guard anyone in the paint. So they're not guarding Leah Edwards. Uh, even Dorothy Uhas can get in there. Um, I don't know. Just a lot of interesting potential in this in the bottom half of this bracket. Definitely. Yeah, and that Ohio State was 19-0 to start, and then they are six of in six and seven to end the season. So a rough stretch for them. Yeah, wow, under 513 games. It's not a good looking. No, no. 
not great. <laughs> All yes, right. Uh, you got UConn coming out of this, right? Yes. Yeah. Moving on to Seattle for the last region. This one to me also screams chaos because I have no idea who's coming out of this either. Um, I think maybe a little bit of a surprise to see Stanford on the one line and Iowa on the two and the, the reverse here and kind of want to start with the Hawkeyes because they finished the regular season with a win over Indiana. They go on to win the Big Ten tournament, a good win over Maryland, absolutely destroy Ohio State in that final. So, the, and like you said, number two team in the AP poll right now, they're clearly on a hot streak. I still like stand by my routine take though that like their defense isn't going to carry them far, and I think you might disagree with me. So I wanted to start there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean I'm higher in their defense than you are. I wouldn't necessarily necessarily you know say that their defense is going to carry them per se. Um, but this is what I put on Twitter. We were texting about this that if there's one thing that Iowa's defense has become really good at, it's rebounding. You brought up the point that. Uh, you know, the Big Ten doesn't have a ton of teams that crash the offensive glass. And that's true, but uh, they didn't last year. They didn't the year before. So it's kind of your it's it's apples and apples when you're looking at these numbers. And when Caitlin Clark came in to college two years ago, this team was an absolute dumpster fire on, in every way on defense, including defensive rebounding. They were in the 200s in defensive rebounding, bottom half of the country in defense in terms of our her hoops, that's defensive rating. Last year, they jumped up to around uh, 90 to 100, 110 range in both. Uh, not exactly where you, you know, not good at all um, when you're talking about like a top five team in the country. Uh, who The reason they're good is because they always have the best offense in the country and the best score and passer in the country. But this year, they jumped to fourth in the country in defensive rebounding rate. And that has propelled them into the top 50 in terms of defensive rating, which again, that's not – I'm not going to say they're a good defensive team. They, they still don't guard anyone. They, you know, they they just rebound. That's the only thing they do on defense. They don't do anything else. But they went from being good at zero things on defense to being good at one thing on defense. That's that's an improvement. That's something. And when <laughs> your offense is absolutely unstoppable, if you can be good at one thing on defense, that that can help you. And, and we saw them make the Sweet 16 two years ago. They got bounced in the second round last year. You have to get better at something if you want to go further than you did those last two years. And they did. They got better at something. Are they actually the fourth best defensive rebounding team? Maybe they're 10th. Maybe they're 15th. I don't know. But they're certainly good at it. They they do box out. Sonato has gotten better. Kate Martin has gotten better. Bringing Hannah Stolke off the bench instead of Addison O'Grady is a big deal in terms of defensive rebounding for them this year. Uh, the freshman who's played really well. So, I think their defense, their defense doesn't have to be good. That's the thing. Their defense has to be competent. It has to be average, mediocre-ish, as opposed to what it was two years ago, which is just non-existent. And I think it's at that point. It, their defense is at that point where it can hang enough that their offense can get them to a Final Four. Now, like, they have some tough matchups here. They have Duke, uh, if we see Chalk. Then they might have either Stanford or Texas. All three of those teams can really, really defend. So uh, they have a, a really tough road in terms of the defenses that they're going to go up against. But this is definitely the best Iowa team since Caitlin Clark's been there, at least. 
And if any Iowa team could make the final four, this is the one. That's fair. They are better. I want to I want to come back to your point about the defenses they have to play because I think that's interesting. Um, but I want to start with the defensive rebounding because I agree, they're definitely better than they were. But to me, fourth in the country just feels like a – I know it is numerically what it is, but, like, are they actually <laughs> the fourth best team in the country at defensive rebounding? I was looking at this earlier because I was like, I feel like the Big Ten isn't great at defensive rebound or offensive rebounding, but I needed to like actually look at it to justify that take. And the Big Ten has one team that's in the top 100 for defensive or for offensive rebounding rate. It's Illinois. And Iowa lost that one game with Illinois this year and they struggled on the defensive glass. Um, Michigan is like the the second or third best team. They're not in the top 100, but they struggled on the defensive glass against Michigan. They struggled in both games on the defensive glass against Maryland. And then UConn that has struggled on the defensive glass without Dorky Uhas in that game. So I do wonder when they get up against teams that offensive rebounding is a bigger part of their game. Are they real? Is that going to hold? It might. I just I don't have a lot of faith that it's going to because I think they've struggled in those situations this year. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And when you look at those three teams who they might go up against, not only are they good defensively, Duke is solid offensive rebounding. Texas and Stanford are elite or sorry, offensive rebound. Duke is solid at offensive rebounding. Texas and Stanford are elite at offensive rebounding. Um, So that's a great point. They I mean, they're going to struggle. You know, even with their improvement to to rebound the ball against any of those three teams, and I, I don't think they're, they're the favorite coming out of this region. But um, yeah, at the end, like they they've become better enough than where they were two years ago to to give themselves a chance. They at least have a chance. Yeah. The other thing I'm gonna say is that the lowest team in the hoop sets era in defensive rating to make the Final Four was Washington in 2016. And they were 38th. And I think I was currently 49th. 49th. Yep. And that Washington team was also just 28th overall. So, I mean, they did have Kelsey Plum, but that was just, Iowa does have Caitlin Clark, but it was also just a massive upset that Washington made the final four. It's definitely not the norm. No, no, it's it's not the norm. Uh, and I'm not picking Iowa out of this. <laughs> as much as I was just talking about how they better <laughs> Fair. <laughs> rebounding, but I just think they're within they're within you know a shouting distance where it wouldn't shock me at all to see them get the final four. It would have shocked me a lot more two years ago. Okay, that that's fair, and I think looking at this region, I'm not going to pick them, but I also agree that they've got a shot. I do want to come back to the matchups though, because Iowa. I mean, you've got a potential second round game with Georgia. Then you've got the potential game with Duke. And then, like you said, Texas or Stanford. And even there's an Ole Miss hanging around in that top half of the bracket if someone made a run. These are some teams that play a pretty intense defense. And I don't know that I was really seen that at all this season. They've seen UConn, and UConn's defense is good, but it's a different kind of defense than like a Georgia or Duke where they're trying to play you in a, you know, 55-50 game. UConn's not trying to play you like that as good as their defense is. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to because there's a, there's a lot of teams that love to slow down and play those grind out games, um, and I mean even even if Louisville somehow <laughs> pulled off a shocker and made it there, if Florida State beats Georgia, it'll be the total opposite, and Iowa will win that game 120 to 110, <laughs> um, yes. which will be fun. But yeah, that's what the tournament is all about. I feel like is is seeing teams seeing things that they haven't seen before after you've spent the last two and a half months playing nothing but the same teams in your conference, and that the true test of if you're an elite team, a championship caliber team, is does your style of play hold up against any you know when you face new styles that you haven't seen yet? And so that's a great point. We we'll find out with Iowa. I would hold up against all this team. So this is a defensive outside of Iowa. This is a defensive region. Yeah, I think I don't think Iowa's going to get upset in the second round. But if they play Georgia, I think that's a game I'm circling. Because if you think back to that UConn UCF matchup last year and how close that was in the second round, and I mean this Georgia team is basically that UCF team. 2.0 they have half the same players the same coach exactly. it really is basically the same team and one thing that concerns me for Iowa in that game is if UCF can get it to be played at the pace that they want I think UConn's able to come out of that well because they're also going to defend really well on the other side but with Iowa not defending really well I wonder if that could cause them some issues yeah, that's it's a great point about that UCF game. They're so much the same team that you just called them UCF. <laughs> oh, but, yeah, uh, I meant to say Georgia. <laughs> uh, it's, no, it's really, how can you tell the difference? You're right, Diamond Battles, Britney Smith. It's, it's the whole, it is just that team. And that team, team gave UConn problems for a while in that game. So it'll it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I kind of want it. It's going to be an ugly game probably, but Diamond Battles versus Caitlin Clark would be a really fun matchup. Yeah, Diamond Battles has enough pride in her defense, enough swag. I guarantee she really, really wants that matchup. She is looking at her chops to get to guard Caitlin Clark. She might <laughs> she might play well. She might get lit up, but she is going to absolutely get up for that game and get after it. Yeah, that would be a fun one. So one I would circle and have my eyes on Iowa if they get that. Not because I don't I think they can shoot their way out of it, but it's not something they've seen and it's gonna be a tough one for them, I think. I also if think they get through battles. Oh go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say if they get through it, I think it prepares them well for what they're gonna see the rest of the time though. It does. That's true. I was gonna say Diamond Battles, I think, is is the type of player who if she if she uh you know has any type of success against Caitlin Clark, if she gets a stop against her, hits a shot or something, she's going to do whatever Caitlin Clark, she's going to do the shrug or, you know, she's going to like, yeah, it's you saw spicy. what she did with Angel Reese, right? Like she's, yeah. uh, she's not going to be shy about it. She's going to let you know. And that's going to yeah. be fun TV no matter what happens. <laughs> exactly. That's going to be a spicy one. So if we get that, <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that. That's going to be so much see, must see TV. Um. Elsewhere, now that we've spent 20 minutes on Iowa <laughs> in this region, this 5-12 matchup between Louisville and Drake really jumps out at me as a, a potential good one. Yeah, as someone who just got done watching Drake play three straight games in the Valley Tournament, destroy my Sorry. team, destroy um, Belmont in the next game who hadn't lost in two months until that game. Uh, 
Drake could absolutely win this game. Their offense, their offense is a headache, man. All the cutting and the duck-ins and uh, like, I mean, Louisville is not the defensive team they were last year and they still can force some turnovers, but not at the same rate that they did last year. That's the one thing maybe Drake struggles with at times is turning the ball over, but when they protect it, I mean, they are hard, hard to guard and I hate it. I hate it a lot, but uh, it's, it is what it is. So I, it'll be interesting to see how Jeff Walls and that defense try to try to slow down this Drake team scoring the ball. And on the other end, Drake, I'm never, Drake is, they're in the same state and a little bit of the same type of historically deal with Iowa where, you know, I'm never going to call them a good defensive team and they historically have been nothing on defense and all offense, but they have improved on defense this year, at least from how bad they have been in the last few years, the same as Iowa. So uh, that's a team that could hang and, I'm I'm picking that one in my bracket. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Louisville, a much better team than they were in November. But I don't know. They made it to the ACC final, but I still they had to go through a Notre Dame team that didn't have Olivia Miles. It's still not totally sold on this team. And I think Drake is a team that's looked really good. And they've had success lately, but they also took Iowa to overtime, right? Back in did. November, December. So like they've had success other types of season two and this definitely has like upset potential written all over it. Yeah. Drake. Yeah. That Iowa game, Drake was winning for a lot of that game. Uh, Drake beat Nebraska by like 25 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pulling up their schedule here. Cause I feel like there was, it might've been someone else too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there was a third game uh, that Drake, Played someone really good. Well, I mean, the Valley's kind of a gauntlet by them. Yeah. Maybe League Two. But, you know, Drake, by the way, their first round in the Valley tournament, they beat Missouri State by three. That was their first single-digit win all year. They've won 20-plus double-digit games. Oh, and Drake hung hung with Creighton. They lost to Creighton by four. That's the one I was thinking of. So, uh, yeah, Drake's a team that is tested. They're always tested. They can always, they can always beat anyone on on the right night, especially if their shots are going in, because you know they're going to get looks. Uh, in the last couple of games, their shots were really falling, so I would not like that draw if I were Louisville. Yeah. Also, we just we love a team with a live dog mascot. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> big fan of live dog mascots. <laughs> Got two of them in this region: Georgia and Drake. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I wonder why you can't UConn fan, fan would say that. <laughs> okay, yes, but also just live dog mascots are the best mascots. There's there's no arguing with that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. One last question on this region: Stanford just has not looked good lately. I thought going into you know, the Big East tournament, I was kind of putting them in this bucket with UConn of like teams that have the resumes, have the potential, but just haven't really looked great as of late. Um, and then they they struggled down that stretch of the regular season, double overtime to beat Colorado, lost to Utah on the road, lost to UCLA in the Pac-12 tournament, had some head scratcher losses earlier in the Pac-12. How worried are you Washington. about, yeah, Washington, which... I like 
this is a, a UConn homer comment, but like everyone's so wound up about UConn St. John's loss and like that Washington loss is worse because guess who's not in the field. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's not really relevant though. <laughs> Very valid point though. <laughs> um, but how worried are you about Stanford overall? Um, I mean, this is who I'm picking out of my bracket, which is a yeah. boring take, but so not worried enough to not pick them, but worried enough that uh, that's another reason why I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Iowa make the final four. This is uh, because Iowa, I think, uh, even though they got a defensive draw, they got in terms of just the way that some of these teams have been playing, they got a draw with some teams that I think are beatable. And again, like you go down, it's not just Stanford, like Texas didn't look great at all against Iowa State in the Big 12 tournament i know they i they made it to the championship but um and then duke you know same thing in the acc tournament there's just any of these teams are beatable on the right night and stanford's one of them um even like you said to a non-tournament team to washington so this is one that there are at least four at least four teams that wouldn't shock me in the slightest to see them in the final four out of this one uh maybe even more this might be the one where we get a five plus to make the final four to be honest but that's part of why i picked stanford stanford in the final four though is because as shaky as they have looked like there are question marks and holes with all of these teams there's no one there's no one here that i look at and say like wow i feel so much more confident in you and trust trust you to win these games so much more than anyone else here you're going to face i just think they all kind of have flaws and just who who can cover those up yeah i i agree with that entirely i'm gonna pick stanford here too which is boring but i just i don't know who else comes out of this region is what it comes down to and three weeks from now we could be looking at like Ole Miss in the final four and i'll be like okay that tracks <laughs> But yeah. I just – actually, I think Ole Miss is an interesting team here for Stanford, too, because their defense is actually at a, a very high level, and they took South Carolina over time and a team that could make some noise. But in general, I just think this region – Stanford's going to be the favorite, but if they don't have their kind of their act turned around from where they were at the end of the season, it's anyone's game to come into this bracket. Yeah, they could lose to Ole Miss. Absolutely, they could lose to Gonzaga too. But you're right. I mean, I think Ole Miss should have won that game because I think there was a foul on Leah Boston at the at the very end of that game against Ole Miss. At the end of regulation, I should say, that didn't get called. Um, that's neither here nor there. But uh, Ole Miss can play with anyone, uh, as we saw in that game, and they're they're a real tough out. Um, and I, there's another team that I think could make a real deep run. I'm not going to pick them in the final four, but while we're still on this region, uh, I think middle Tennessee is an extremely dangerous team uh, that could knock off. That could really cause some havoc here. Um, they kind of check, check all the boxes that you want in terms of an upset pick. First off, they also get, I think maybe one of the weaker six seeds in Colorado. Other than Stanford, I don't have a lot of PAC 12 love. Uh, in first <laughs> round. I already picked against Washington State, but uh, Middle Tennessee, like Florida Gulf Coast, they shoot a lot of threes. Um, Colorado doesn't guard the arc, by the way, so that's a bad matchup. Middle Tennessee draws a ton of fouls. Colorado fouls a ton. That's a bad matchup. Um, and in Middle Tennessee, they just have a lot of talent. They beat Louisville, who's the five seed, by the way, in this same region by 18 earlier in the year. 
they were ranked a lot of the year. I love that the nation is going to get to see Savannah Wheeler play. So I think Middle Tennessee is a team that could really make a run. I haven't beaten Colorado. I think they could beat Duke, honestly, if they get there, um, especially because both of these, those teams love to slow it down, which goes back to what you brought up earlier about slowing it down, being uh, more, you know, leading to more upsets. Middle Tennessee and Duke, neither of those teams I don't think is going to score more than 60 or 65 if they play. So a game, if nothing else, is going to be close. Uh, who knows? Middle Tennessee could could shock a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's a team to keep an eye on here, too. So many teams to keep an eye on. It's the theme of chaos going all around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, so we made final four picks. We've got to at least make championship game and champion picks before we switch over to Twitter questions. So who from your final four picks are you planning in the national championship game? And then who's winning it all? Uh, so I have South Carolina in the championship game and I have Indiana in the championship game. And uh, I am going sort of half heart, half head, definitely some heart in this pick <laughs> and picking Indiana to knock off South Carolina. I just think Indiana is a very good defensive rebounding team, first off, that they don't get credit for. And you have to be to beat South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina is so good in the post, but they just haven't guarded anyone like McKenzie Holmes yet. There's just no one who can score in the post like McKenzie Holmes. And Indiana is such a complete team. with Grace Berger back now. And the way that they have shooting all around McKenzie Holmes with uh, Yarden Garzan and, and Sidney Parrish, and they're so well coached. Terry Morin is an absolute genius. So I could talk about them forever, but uh, we're going with Indiana. Cut down the nets. All right. I'm also putting South Carolina in my national championship game. Shocking, I know, after we just went on for how anyone could win that Seattle Four region. And then um, UConn, also not shocking for me. Yeah. I was going to pick UConn, but now I'm like, we're going to get so much hate for not neither of us picking South Carolina to win the national title. <laughs> I'm going to preface well, it with obviously South Carolina is the favorites. 99% of people are going to pick them to win it. I don't, I'm not saying that they're not going to win it, but I'm going to go with UConn. They played South Carolina really closely in that game back in February before UConn went on their February skid. And it was a four point game at the end of it. Aliyah Edwards was able to get 25 points, kind of cemented herself as one of the best players in the country in that game. And that was without AC Fudd and without Caroline Ducharme. And one of the things Gino said after that game was they just didn't hit enough threes to really give themselves a chance to win it. That's not really going to be a problem for UConn anymore, probably. With AC Fudd coming back, they're going to have a lot more threats on the perimeter, and I think they could be able, with the three-point shooting, I think it's a harder matchup for South Carolina, and they could get the win. Yeah, well, I can't wait for South Carolina Twitter to come after us. Yeah, I'm, we're going to get roasted for this. Uh, <laughs> to be off. clear, South Carolina is the favorite. Yes. We just have to get a little creative, or otherwise we're going to be boring because all everyone's going to say is South Carolina is going to win it all. <laughs> yeah, we're going to hear it either way because it's, it's just – I mean, my Final Four was kind of boring, so I had to get yeah. something. But, like, that picking brackets isn't always about picking who the most likely is to win a right. certain matchup or to win the championship because, yeah – South Carolina is the most likely to win the championship and it's not close, but it's about picking who you think has a better chance than everyone else thinks. And mm -hmm. I think Indiana has a better chance than everyone else thinks they have. Uh, so I'm going with them. Yeah, I, I like it. All right, quickly switching over to questions from Twitter. 
We've got a handful of them. So running through those, Elizabeth Borges asked the biggest seating surprises. And then also, what do you make of the first, the last four in, first four out? Did the committee get those right? So biggest seating surprise to me was North Carolina at six. I think that's probably everyone's probably biggest surprise. Mostly, I don't I think a lot of people thought that North Carolina had a shot at hosting. I thought if they weren't hosting, they would be on the five line. So seeing them as six was pretty shocking. Yeah, that was my biggest seating surprise. And we talked about Illinois as well. Uh, <laughs> thought they they didn't have to be in the first four. Uh, yeah. And then in terms of snubs um, or, or, you know, the last four or the first four out, I guess, uh, Columbia, I thought had a real case to get in. Um, they really, really challenged themselves on the road this year. They, they beat Memphis, Delaware, Seton Hall, Miami is in the field. UMass, who was also one of the first four out Princeton, who's in the field, all of those on the road, Columbia beat. Uh, and I thought they had a real case. So, but they're a mid-major. That's how we're, that's life as a mid-major. Um, and then I agree yeah. with the ones you said as well. Yeah, I thought Columbia was going to be in too. And the team that I thought was going to be out, because like if you're going to put someone in, someone has to come out. I was really shocked to see West Virginia comfortably in on the 10th line. I thought if they were in, they were going to be play in a play-in. Um, so that was the team I would have taken out to put Columbia in. I thought that Columbia had the bigger, better argument than West Virginia did to be in the field. The other ones made sense to me, though. I was very pleasantly surprised to see Oregon, or not maybe surprised because I thought they would probably be out, but I'm happy to see that Oregon didn't make it because I didn't think the Ducks had the resume, but I was worried because their net was so high and they played in the Pac-12, they might get in with the 14 losses. So I was, I was glad to see that didn't happen. So I think they got that right. Kansas, I didn't think, deserved to be in the field either. UMass, I think, was the victim of the bit thieves and had Gonzaga not lost and USF not lost, they probably would have gotten despite their conference tournament loss. Yeah, yeah. And UMass is another one who um probably just the victim of uh, you know, mid major disrespect and, and a little bit of their schedule. Um but <laughs> Yeah. I was glad to see they were at least like first four out because I think some people yeah. thought they were further out than that. And I, I did think they had a close case. And then they just won those, those two upsets happened in the American and in the, the West coast conference, they kind of just lost their shot. Yeah. The net is not built for teams like uh, Columbia or UMass. No. <laughs> built for teams like Oregon, but they didn't get in either. So. Um, and then we had Kelly on Twitter ask which player will make a name for themselves in the tournament and boost their WNBA draft stack the highest. I'm going to go with an answer here of someone we already talked about some, but Maddie Seacrest, because I think she's still too underrated for how good she is. And that comes from the fact that the Big East plays 90% of their games on flow sports and it's impossible to watch her. But getting her on the national stage, hopefully – for multiple games for Nova, and I'm sure she's going to deliver. I think she's going to get the most attention. Yeah, no, that's a great one. Uh, another one I have that I've talked about a lot throughout the year already, so probably repeating myself, but Grace Berger, uh, especially if my bracket ends up working out and Indiana does win the championship, uh, it's not just going to be the McKenzie Holmes show. You know, they're going to have other people step up. And Grace Berger, fifth-year senior, who can, at times, you see her just – completely take over at times. She really sort of defers to other people too. Um, and especially with the way Mackenzie Holmes has played this year. But I think if Indiana is going to win the championship, you're going to need to see the Grace Berger who 
who sort of goes and goes and gets hers, you know, who's, who's willing to uh, create her own shot and, and hit big shots and, and have the ball in those tight, tight late game moments. Um, and I think a lot of WNBA scouts are going to be watching her hopefully hit some big shot to beat someone on a national stage in the elite eight or, or final four. Definitely. All right, Michael Schaller. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing anyone's name wrong. Also, what's your closest contest pick for the 413 matchups? I know you've got a good answer for this one, so I'm going to let you go with it. Yeah, I do, and you're going to hate it, but we already texted about it a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I got Sacramento State beating UCLA. I think Kalaja Dean's going to be the leading scorer in this game, whether they win or lose, first off. And uh, Mark Campbell, Sacramento State head coach, was uh, before a couple years ago when he got this job, he was an Oregon assistant for seven years. Uh, He scouted UCLA plenty of times. Sacramento State, their offense is fun. They also really slow the game down, which, again, great for upsets. Uh, And it's not like UCLA is going to try to do anything to stop that, to to speed the game up. Um, Sacramento State, another great analytics team, doesn't shoot a lot of jumpers, loves to take the three ball. they, they might be the best pick and roll team in the country with Kalasia Dean and Izzy Nadabu, 6'5 stud, who's great on the pick and roll, uh, you know, as the roller. She's great at post-ups, great rebounder. I think UCLA is really going to struggle to stop her. Uh, when you have a, a 13 seed that has two players that good, sometimes you see these mid-majors come in and they have one stud. And, and you, you know, if you're a power conference team, you can kind of take that player away. But when you have two like that, and you shoot the three the way that they do, which is way better than UCLA, by the way, you can really keep yourself in a game unless they go cold from three, which is always a possibility. Uh, I think they have a real shot. And I know Sacramento and uh, L.A. aren't necessarily close because California is massive, but they are playing <laughs> in state, uh, which, you know, at least they're playing kind of in their own time zone. They don't they didn't get like the Arizona treatment like we talked about. So. Uh, can't hurt at least either. UCLA also has struggled to guard the post and pick and rolls, by the way, which is going to be a problem with, with Nadabu. So I love this matchup. Huge circle on my bracket. <laughs> I think this is the one uh, home team that loses first round. All right. That's that's a hot take. I'm not going to agree with it, but it's a hot take. Yeah. I think I the other one people – <laughs> yeah. The other one people are circling, I think, is probably that Nova Cleveland State game because Cleveland State's been pretty good. 30 wins. I think they've got a win over DePaul earlier this year, but I mean, we all know that I'm high on Nova, so I'm not going to pick it. But I think that is one that people are circling. <laughs> yeah. No, I Cleveland stays the other 13 seed in a vacuum that I would circle as well as being a really good 13 seed. But the problem, it's all about the matchups. And Cleveland State got a mad matchup because, like you said, Villanova is really good. Villanova is a lot better than UCLA, in my opinion. So Cleveland State got a tough draw. They could win. But Sacramento State is a good 13 seed who plays a, a team that they can match up with. And that's the difference for me. Yeah. I think Villanova is, like, properly seeded at four, but probably not respected as a four as much as they should be. If that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think that a lot of people think they're as good as they are. Yeah. Cause they play on flow sports all year and they're not UConn. Yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. And then one last question from Twitter. Reyna says, which of the top, top 16 seeds will not reach the sweet 16? And then also which top seed will lose first? You want to take this one? Sure. All right. 
top I mean I think there's gonna be multiple top 16 seeds that do not make mm -hmm. the sweet 16 but some quick picks well Notre Dame because I don't feel great about Olivia Miles health situation so if they don't have her they're not making the sweet 16 like I said earlier LSU as well another team I'm not putting in my sweet 16. I think those are the two main ones, but I think there'll be others too. Yeah, yeah. No, it, Olivia Miles' health is definitely like a big factor there. I, uh, I already talked about UCLA. Don't have them in the <laughs> Um, And let's see, I have to scroll through real quick. Who's, who's, yeah. Who are the other ones I didn't? Oh, well, in terms of the first top seed to lose, Virginia Tech, uh, if you're talking one seeds, we talked about, kind of hit on that already, but. I definitely think Virginia Tech is the weakest one seed and has the toughest path, which is a perfect storm. So they're going to be the first one seed to lose. And I actually, it looks like I have all of the other. Oh, well, another one who I think is iffy to make the Sweet 16, not because of anything you know, bad about them, but is Villanova because I think FGCU can really give them problems. Uh, I've talked about why I'm high on FGCU, but that one's, that one's 50, 50 for me. And other than that, um, yeah, I think that's all I have. That's fair. I want to expand that top seed question because it's not very exciting when we just ask it about the one seeds, because yeah, we're all going to pick Virginia Tech. If we expand it to the one and two seeds, who do you pick as the first team to lose? First team to lose out of those eight. Mm-hmm. I'm still going um, for Virginia Tech. It's not I'm very exciting. Going for Virginia Tech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Virginia Tech's going to lose before any of the two seeds. I think all the yeah. two seeds are going to I don't know if Virginia Tech's making it past South Dakota State. Yeah, that game, I have a large circle on that South Dakota State Virginia Tech <laughs> game. It could be could be a spicy yeah. one. And then, yeah, Virginia Tech, if, if any of the one or two seeds was going to get bounced in the second round, I think Virginia Tech is by far the most likely. Definitely, definitely agree with that. I do think we could see a lot of the two seeds lose in the Sweet 16 to three mm -hmm. seeds, I think. Yeah. Um, UConn's the least likely, but even then, I mean, I, it wouldn't be out of the question to see Ohio State win that game. LSU could definitely beat Utah. Uh, Duke could definitely beat Iowa. And if Olivia Miles is healthy, Notre Dame could definitely beat Maryland. We saw that mm -hmm. matchup earlier this year, and it came down to buzzer beater. So uh, anyone could win that game as well. But again, they need Olivia Miles for that one. But they have her. I mean, who knows? We could see more three seeds than two seeds in the Elite Eight. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. I think if I was looking at games that I would circle, like if any one or two seed might lose in the second round, I would say I would circle Stanford if they play Ole Miss. I think that could be interesting. Even Gonzaga. I think that game could be interesting if Stanford doesn't look good. And then I would circle Iowa if they have to play Georgia because like we went on for a while about, I think that'll be an interesting game. Yeah, I think uh, I'm pulling it up here. I, was it this, this year or the year before where Stanford and Gonzaga met? Okay, uh, this year Stanford won that game by 21. Maybe I think they might have lost to Gonzaga last year. Last or year. it was close. Yeah. Yeah. That might be what I'm thinking of. I know Gonzaga either beat them or kept it real close within the last couple of years. Maybe it wasn't this year. I had to pull that up. But they certainly could. Gonzaga certainly good. Either of those teams. Yeah, like you said, Ole Miss Gonzaga. And uh, especially if Stanford plays the way they did against Washington, uh, yeah. could keep it close in that game. Yeah, I will not be picking South Carolina to lose any time in the second nope. round. No. Nope. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Nope. 
they are making at a minimum, I think, probably the Sweet 16. If they lost before the Sweet 16, it would be the biggest upset of ever. Yeah, especially at home. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be a huge upset if they lost anywhere before the Final Four, I think, but mm-hmm. especially, there's no way they're losing this first or second round. Nope. All right. I think that's it for us. Thanks, Calvin, for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me, Megan. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to or watching us. Also, be sure to subscribe to the stat site, herhoopstats.com. All the NCAA stats you need. We've got a great comparison tool out there to help you build your bracket. So definitely go check that out. Also, be sure you are subscribed to our free newsletter on Substack to get all of Her Hoop Stats' best content in your inbox daily. And follow us on social media at Her Hoop Stats on all platforms. Thanks again for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.